When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Back for part two of the discussion on the defense. We had a great time talking uh, defense with Gordon McGinnis of PFF. He's here to join us for, for the second part as well. If you didn't see that first or listen to that first part, please go back and, and download that. It's worth your time. And uh, any any conversations, Gordon, is uh, is uh, worth the time, by the way. Any chance you have a, a chance to listen to him on the radio or uh, uh, hear him on somebody else's podcast, always a treat. Uh, Gordon, thanks for joining us again. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, how about we talk about some individual players now? That's usually what we save the second part of the show for. Uh, maybe we have a mailbag question or two when we uh, when we get to the end of this. So, Sounds yeah, good to me. You're the guest. Please pick a player you'd like to talk about, and uh, and we'll have a little back and forth. I I'm really quite excited to talk about Daffy Owey. Um, I this is not this wasn't his best game in terms of the raw numbers. Right, he's had flash games where he's um, Flash as a pass rusher, put up some bigger numbers there. I think this was his best game in the NFL in terms of overall consistency. Um, I think there were things we saw that were improvements, things that we saw developments. I loved how he reacted to plays. It wasn't necessarily about him dominating as a pass rusher, especially going up against um, Laramie Tunsil. That was never going to be easy. But I thought he reacted well to both times where plays broke down and also um, in just you know, following a play as a play kind of extended a little bit on a rollout and things like that. We um we had him with uh, uh only like an eight point three percent win rate, but a twenty five percent pressure rate, mm. um, and that means that you know as those plays were going on and he hadn't necessarily won his block, he was still going and finding it. I thought he used his strength well, but those those late plays, I think three of his hits, I think came just on him chasing down C.J. Stroud, and I watched them before coming on here. And probably for the first time since watching him in the NFL, I remembered that he ran a sub 4-4-40 because that's what happened in those plays. So fast, so athletic, and I thought he looked stronger as well. Yeah, I, outstanding. I agree. I, I, a number of plays from Oway I want to talk about. You've hit on some of this in terms of his speed being really used to pursue boots, uh, to get after Stroud. And, and frankly, you know, Stroud's not a completely slow guy. He's a somewhat mobile quarterback who can run the football a little bit. And there aren't a lot of edge guys who can cross the entire field and chase down a guy like that before he, he hits that corner. He did a very good job with that. Really good with the boot recognition. And we talked about that a little bit in the first show, so I don't want to duplicate and waste waste our time on that. Um, one of the boot plays that he made was really spectacular. He was on the boot side 
picked up the level zero receiver, we'll call it, or the level one receiver, but the one closest to the line of scrimmage, and covered him. And that was when Matabike rushed in for his 11-yard sack. But, but it was actually Owe who made that play by being in coverage of that of that first receiver. Yeah, yeah. Just tremendous athleticism, I thought. Yeah. Uh, contributions across the board for Owe. So very very excited about him. I, I'm very bullish on Owe's season. Where are you on this for, for S- now? S- same. I know, like, coming in, I, I'm not going to say I argued with people online, but, you know, a lot of people were down. A lot of people, it felt, were higher on Ojabo because second round pick, you know, we didn't really see him much for injury. I, I thought Owe finished last season really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think young guy, his development was impacted a little bit by Bowser's injury a year ago because they asked him to do some different things. He's still young and still developing. And I think towards the end of last year, it felt like he became a far more consistent player. Yeah, completely agree. And in, in particular, ask him to take that Sam role where he's opposite a tight end and he has to drop the coverage more often. And it just, it wasn't ideal. And he needs to be back. They've got a pass rush guru now, Chuck Smith, working with him. And this should be a year where he learns to beat left tackles. It looked like he's doing a lot more with his hands other than just trying to use the bull rush in this game too. Uh, uh, still has got that speed to stunt as needed. Very patient backside defender. Just so much to love about what he did in this game. I felt like there were some like later hand movements as well. Like it felt like in previous years, it's felt like he had his attempt to win. Once that was done, he was kind of done in this game, as well as that pursuit that he had afterwards. There were also some like late in the play movements to get away. Some of that stuff was helping him dip under tackles. Um, Like once it reached kind of nine yards being pushed nine yards deep, if you're able to get a little move and dip under, you can still get in and impact the quarterback later in the play. Yep. And they, they, uh, the Ravens. You mentioned this in the in the first part, but they don't have that dominant edge defender. So a lot of their sacks come as cleanup sacks with an initial pressure occurring, and it can come from lots of different places. It could be clowning, it could be an inside guy creating pocket compression, it could be just the quarterback getting nervous and having to move because they think they see something, and you can get a late sack that way. So really pays to have a high motor if you're a pass rusher for the Ravens, and and Oi, I think has shown that. I'll move on. I'll talk about Broderick Washington as my first guy. And this is a guy who I don't, I'm not sure if he would have graded all that well for PF from PFF, but you, you could tell me on this. Uh, he had some real good contributions in this game. And one of the things I liked is he was twice in the game. This rarely happens. He was pancaked basically at the feet of Stroud creating a pressure. And on the first one in particular, he had the presence of mind to continue to roll towards the quarterback, which was probably his quickest way he was going to get there, quickest and safest probably. Now, when doing that, that that allows no possibility that Stroud's going to be able to step into a throw that goes anywhere to, towards the, the majority of angles that he might normally throw the football. Uh, and so that was, that was particularly effective. Did have a uh, quarterback hit in the game. Uh, when he beat the center Patterson. So that was a good one. And then the big one, he he drew a holding call on Tunsil that negated a nine-yard uh, conversion of, of first down. That was in the first quarter. So a lot of under-the-radar contributions because nobody they always want to know who had the holding penalty. They never want to know who had the holding penalty against, which is usually a very important thing to accumulate those against you. Anyway. Yeah, his grade-wise, he was like just ever so slightly below that kind of 60 mark. But like looking into the grade... It's two negatively graded plays, two positively graded plays. I'm fine with that for an interior defensive lineman. You want a guy who, you know, if you're not getting blown up, and those grades would suggest you're not being blown up, 
I'm okay giving up a couple of plays here and there as long as you can make those those impactful plays. And I I love the decision to bring him back. Um, uh, you know, again, not you don't need him to be a, a standout on your defensive line, but he's a guy who I think is going to contribute all season for them. Yeah, I'm. I'm. It was definitely a right player, right price choice. I don't think they could have afforded a deal with Matt Abike. Um And and Washington is a is a very solid, you know multi-year defensive lineman with with what they're down to they're down to just travis jones for next year they really needed to uh beef that up with some additional uh, uh contract work who you, do you want to go next to uh i'd like to talk a little bit about madabiki because i thought it's a it's a really interesting game so he wound up as one of the ravens lowest graded players in the game but it's just not as simple as that because the reason why he was one of the lowest graded players was because of the penalties um, you know, number of penalties he had, the key penalties, you know, that just has an impact. That's three big negatives that are that are going to have a big impact um, on his grade. But as a pass rusher, finished the game, we had him with four total pressures, one of which was the sack. Looked, again, really good as a pass rusher in this game. And for a team who don't have that dominant edge, who are going to rely on some scheme stuff when it comes to the edges and linebacker spots, if you can get some in, some consistent interior pressure, that's the type of thing that can free up those guys to to do some more things. So I thought this was encouraging. Don't want to get overly um, enamored with it, given the fact that this was a, a poor interior offensive line, uh, but definitely some good signs there. The the fact the he, he drew two holding penalties himself in this game, and they might have both been on Jones, or maybe it was one on Tunsil, one on Jones. But anyway, they, he drew two holding penalties. Does, did he get credited with a pressure on each of those among those four? Because I've only got him for two pressures, one pressure, one sack. Uh, possibly, yeah. I can't I can't quite remember. It's been so long since I actually did the grading myself. Uh, I can't actually remember if that, right. if it would be like classes negated player, if it, if it wouldn't be. Well, it, it'd be appropriate anyway for him to get a yes. price. So it's, you know, it's obviously those are big plays for a defensive lineman to do that. Now, let's talk about the other side of that coin. And I, I agree with you. I, I think there's very positive portent to draw from what Matabike did in this game, despite the low grade, because I think the penalties can be cleaned up. Face mask penalties are stupid. You got to watch your hands in the NFL and, and you know, figure out where they are. And the other, I think, was an illegal hands to the face he had. Is that what it was or was it something else? Yeah, I think I think it was illegal hands to the face. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in, in, no, I'm sorry. It was defensive holding. That's what it was. That can also be cleaned up because what he did is basically he's trying the old Casey Hampton trick where he h- holds on to two linemen at the same time on a run play to try and take two guys out. Um, and you can't do that. All of that to me is, is correctable for Matabike. I am a little concerned he played too many snaps. And this is a big thing for me this year is that I don't think he's been effective when he's played more snaps. And I think the PFF grades have kind of shown that too in two ways. One is he doesn't seem to be as good um, in terms of how you guys grade him when he has more snaps or late in the season last year when in a season where he played, I think it was 59% of the snaps for the year. Yeah, just having a quick look at it just now, most of his uh, best pass rushing games in terms of PFF grade last year came in the first half of the year. Um, I think is in the top half of his games in terms of grade. There's one in week 11, one in week 18, one week 17. The rest are all week nine or earlier. Mm-hmm. All right. And the other thing, you, you probably caught it during the game, and a lot of a lot of fans I'm sure did too, of, of um, Harbaugh chewing out both him and Pierce on the sideline. 
uh, after the play. Now, one thing that really strikes me about that, and I, I, I try and read things as well as I can to see what is not normal about this situation. Harbaugh never, and I mean never, turns his back on the field for an extended period. And that's something, by the way, that's the difference between a head coach and a coordinator. If you're a coordinator, you're over there on the bench with the offensive linemen when they're off the field talking to them about, hey, look at this. We're, we're scheming this. If you're a head coach, you got your eyes on that field the, the entire time. And that's generally the way of it. And I, the only time I can remember this otherwise happening was Bill Belichick going over and screaming at his defensive players after they got down 14 to nothing to the Ravens in that 2019 game. Uh, and it's just, it, it is so odd when it occurs, uh, you, you really have to notice it. And uh, it looked like not only were the two of them, they were trying to be as intent and focused as they possibly could be. Broderick Washington is kind of off to the side in the picture. And if you freeze the frame there, you see he's, he has a significant amount of discomfort being an observer to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can read it all over his face. All right, uh, my turn to pick a player. Right, let's 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 talk Roquan because we we would be remiss not to include this unbelievable game. I think it was his best game as a Raven. Uh, Sixteen tackles, eleven of them were defensive wins, as I count them, and I'm I'm including all tackle contributions uh, in here, assists and uh, uh, solos. Uh, three of those ended drives. Uh, he also had a fourth potential drive ending tackle. This was a weird situation, which was negated by an illegal shift. Now, normally you don't negate an illegal shift when the, when the drive might end, but it was a weird situation where it was a third and 19 with an 11 yard gain that would have made it fourth and eight. I think it was early in the fourth quarter and they took the illegal shift to make it third and 24. And then they gained six yards and kicked the field goal. So it was, it was weird that they would accept the penalty, but they did. And, uh, and it just, I love high leverage wins. Whenever a player has a drive ending play in particular, that has a lot of value to me. I think they ought to be counted as their own statistic, frankly. Um, and and uh, contributions to those plays, I, 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 I'm very positive about whenever I do my writing. Yeah. I, and this is the thing. So you touched on earlier when you said, when you looked at Roquan in Chicago, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't the player he is now. Like he, whether or not it was the fit within that defense and also the players around him, all those things. When that trade happened, my initial reaction was, oh, I hate giving up a second round pick. And then it was, okay, you know, it's probably like a eight game rent rental for that player. And, you know, you let him go and you get something back. And my logic at that point was the Ravens have made that trade because what they're hoping for is the high end play, because they're thinking of in games against the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Dolphins, when you know big playoff implications on the line or in the playoffs, you need players who can make those high leverage plays. Not just turnovers, but to your point there, guys who are going to make the the tackle that shuts down a drive on third down and all those things. And it obviously hasn't, you know, they haven't had the playoff run at this point so far with it. But that's exactly the player he's been for them. And it's why as much as I don't love paying huge sums of money to linebackers based on your kind of overall values and stuff like that. I really don't have any issue with it for Roquan because he's proven in you know, half a season and now the start of this one that he is a difference maker. Um, and, you know, it's not the same as a difference maker as a 18 sack a season guy or six interceptions, but he is a player who's going to consistently make plays that are going to shut down drives that are almost like many turnovers. 
Yeah, just it, it it it's hard to be superlative enough after a game like this. But he's already in half a season. He's had so many great games for the Ravens, and I, I honestly believe this this was his best in terms of of uh, all the yeah. contributions he made in all aspects of the game. Though he didn't have a pick or or a you know involvement in a turnover at all, it was just amazing. I also think he's the type of guy. So I thought about this this morning, and again, maybe I'm just trying to be positive after all the negatives from yesterday, but. If you t- if you could guarantee me right now that at the end of this season there's not going to be uh, a guy with a kind of like record threatening sack total, similarly interception wise, it really wouldn't surprise me to see him in the defensive player of the year conversation yeah. because he's that type of player who is going to make enough impact over the course of the year on a good defense that you know voters I think are going to like that. Yeah, great. That's a great point. And uh, you know, he, he's he's very much like Ray Lewis in that way. And, and Ray never Ray did have one great interception total where he where he he rode that to the defensive player of the year in part. But uh, you know, certainly being with being with a great defense is is the thing. Now we still have to have to actually see this defense be great against some other opponents. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, this this is a big thing. Now you, you mentioned the contracts inside linebacker, and this comes up all the time on on the show, but what would you do at the other positions? So, you know, Queen, potentially they could, I suppose, re-sign him. Um, I'm gathering from your discussion that you probably wouldn't expend resources there. Probably not at the at the cost. And I I could be proven wrong, but I feel like that's probably the, the decision the Ravens got to. So I think, you know, I don't know if they always planned on this being the role for Queen when they drafted him, or if they hoped he would be the Roquan guy. You know, if you look at what they did over a couple of years, they they tried to sign Bobby Wagner, drafted Patrick Queen, and then made the trade for Roquan Smith. So I feel like they've they've probably accepted that what what Queen is for them is a guy that they can deploy as a weapon on defense and they can, you know, use him to attack things and stuff like that. And he's gonna he's gonna create big plays himself. I I don't think they will be willing to spend realistically probably upwards of $15 million a year to re-sign him because I think I think his physical skill set is someone who's going to pay him that. Upwards um, of 50, 15, right? F- 15, yeah, yeah, 15 yeah. per season. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to give him the Roquan Smith contract, mm-hmm. but I do think, I do think he's going to get, physical tool wise you know he has the speed and he has the impact plays that can go there i think someone's going to pay him a good chunk of money i i I wish him the best and certainly from a compensatory draft pick standpoint we'd be foolish or not to um teams have to make very difficult decisions about who they who they have to let go uh i do think the ravens with lamar on the second contract are need to be extremely cognizant of every dollar spent i don't think there's any dispute over that one of the ways you can save money um cap wise is to have a platoon at one of your inside linebacker positions, preferably I'd say the weak side linebacker position where you, you often have the green dot at Mike, which is where the Ravens do now. But you know, you start off with a dime defender is usually a good idea because your third best coverage safety is usually a hell of a lot better than your second best coverage linebacker. And then you, you know, you also have guys who can run around and do things on the early downs are, are cheap if you're not asking them to be pure coverage guys. So I just think, you know, whether it's two guys or three guys, including some sort of a pass rush that from that position, you can get those three guys who can do individually things quite cheaply. You might get three guys for, you know, $4 million or something, including one veteran, let's say. 
Uh, LJ Fort maybe ends up being your veteran and you have a couple guys around him you're working with as well, including a safety. Um, you know, it, it could be an enormous difference and you're, you're filling three roster spots. You're, you're building a lot of your special teams unit with that. Um, and a guy like Patrick Queen, you can't afford to have him play special teams. Not that that's a, you know, a big detractor from his own personal value because he is a three down unicorn at this point. It's just, it's just a matter of, you have. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details to have roster spots assigned to that responsibility yeah yeah and you can realistically for what i think patrick queen will get in the open market you can have multiple players in that platoon oh you could have five sets of them i think for, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, yeah. for what patrick is gonna have so yeah I, and i also i i think you can find linebackers a really weird position in the nfl whereby i think there's a very small number of really really good linebackers mm-hmm. and then there's quite a big group, and Patrick Queen's one of these guys, whereby they're not consistent. And, and I should say Patrick Queen now is significantly more consistent than Patrick mm-hmm. Queen as a rookie was. Um, I know there is a, a a thing, I've you know, and I've been really down on Patrick Queen before, that you know PFF hates Patrick Queen. Missed a ton of tackles, made a lot of mistakes in coverage early in his career. Second half of last season, and in this game uh, yesterday, there's a lot of stuff he does really well. Um, but there's a lot of players who buy, you know, high athleticism guys who are still going to make some mistakes for you. And then you've got this huge group of linebackers who are good, solid players. They're not great athletes and they just don't cost that much money to to sign. And that's probably where I think the Ravens will be able to bring in a couple of players. Yeah, they they have guys on the roster right now. I mean, Delshawn Phillips lit up camp this year. He's making plays day after day. He played great in the preseason. Uh, I think he could be part of an inside linebacker platoon if they wanted to to bring him back on a kind of one of these perpetual Ravens special teams contracts yeah. that they seem to yeah. have all the time. So that'll be fun. All right, let's move on from Patrick. He had a great game yesterday, obviously, and uh, uh, really happy to see him uh, rush the quarterback well and and uh, do the things he did. Who's your next guy? Who would you like to talk about? Yeah, just briefly wanted to touch a little bit on on Brandon Stevens. So this is a guy who. Heading into the summer, it felt like he was moving to safety. This, you know, the Ravens had said this is where we're going to try him, all this stuff. And to be fair to him, I actually think he had some nice reps at outside cornerback late in the year last year. Mm-hmm. I remember a pass breakup against T. Higgins, I think, for the Bengals that was really good. I I think he's a perfectly okay player. And I think he's fine to have as a depth player. I don't want him as a as an every-down starter all the time, but I think if you have to start him, that's fine. I get the impression the Ravens just absolutely love him, though, based on the way he plays. The way the thing we talked about earlier, the way he plays when everything's in front of him, 
I think it just fits their mentality on on everything. I think he's a guy who knows doesn't want to give up any additional yards when he makes a hit and all those things. And as we watch through preseason through the game yesterday, he just feels like a very typical Ravens defensive back. Yeah, I I, I specifically do not like him for the back end of cover three, just from an instincts perspective, because he's not a read the quarterback exceptionally well. He's not really a find the football in the air exceptionally. Uh, he tries to drive through the spine of the wide receiver and see if he can break it kind of guy. And that's, you know, you want to have guys who do that. I think he needs to be a little bit better uh, in a little bit better position on the physicality and miss tackle rate efficient frontier. I, I want him a little bit closer to that efficient frontier, meaning I want his missed tackle rate to go up or, or uh, uh, sorry, to go down or his physicality to be even at a higher level where he's playing downfield, rushing off the edge yeah. of the backfield, doing whatever it is. But I, honestly, I, I don't think there's another position for him outside of outside corner with the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's his best chance to succeed. The notion of him being a slot player just instinctively didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, put, yeah. That, that's the that's the tough thing. So I understand why people look at him and the way he plays and think, oh, okay, he could be good as a slot guy because that kind of playing playing with uh, everything in front of you, you know, bring him close to the line of scrimmage, let him blitz, do a couple of things like that. I don't think he has the the kind of spatial instincts that I would need from a slot cornerback, whereby you're having to pass off a lot of things, you're having to kind of deal with a lot of traffic and all those things. I think where he benefits from is when he has that boundary to work with as like a little bit of protection. And if he gives up something in front, okay, just go and make the tackle. Yeah, that's a great point about the boundary and about the spatial instincts. I love having you on the show, man. You, you <laughs> always bring something really special to it. But the, but the boundary in particular, you know, we've seen big corners in the AFC North. Jimmy Smith is probably the best Ravens example of a guy who didn't really have top-end speed his entire career, but when he lost his speed, he became a great boundary defender. Brandon Stevens, the thing I've liked since the beginning of last year is he's really cut down on the penalties a lot on the outside. So at least that he's yeah sure there's a few receptions given up hopefully he's making tackles at a better rate than he than he did, um, but uh, but it's uh, you know the, the boundary using that boundary well is something he definitely can do when he can stay with somebody stride for stride and be too big for the quarterback to ignore as he's making his throw. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about our Darius Washington a little bit because I absolutely loved what he did in this game. And he was all over the field. Uh, you know, obviously he had the sack. He had another pressure rushing off the edge as I scored it. Um, he was had a, a pass defense. Uh, gave up, I, I think, probably a couple of throws in the game, but it wasn't much. And uh, he cleaned up on Stevens' missed tackle, I believe, on that left sideline play. Uh, just lots of positive things um, th that he was able to put together in this game. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit in the, in the, uh, in the first show is uh, just a guy who, who, who is, is one of the really bright spots in terms of a player playing way above expectation so far this year. Yeah. Re really one of the stories the the story for the Ravens on the defensive side, I think he's the equivalent of John Simpson at left guard for them mm -hmm. on, the, on the defensive side of the ball um, just plays so where I don't I don't think he has the same coverage skills as like a Lardarius Webb had for the Ravens, but that same mentality for being way more physical than someone his size should be. He's more physical than he looks like he should be. And we had him given up four receptions in this game, but only for 26 yards. Uh, one, he had a tackle result in a defensive stop. He had the sack. So, you know, good game all around, I think. 
and yeah, if it's four out of four, right? Okay. Yeah. So you know, not a, not ideal, but six and a half yards per play is is not something. I, I think uh, that's fine. Yeah. 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 Uh, the guy he reminds me of is Corey Ivy, who was the was the Ravens um, slot corner in the 2006 season for that great defense. He also was around in 2007 too. He's late. I want to say by in week nine of the season, he was leading the team in sacks with two tied for the team. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, that wasn't a good year, by the way. <laughs> but uh, but the uh, Corey Ivy, a uh, uh, whirling dervish of a player, a Tasmanian devil, they used to call him, I think. And and uh, uh, for an for undersized guy to be involved in so many big plays, uh, just, just remarkable. Some safeties in Ravens history have just had a knack for that. Chad Williams was another guy who, who was a remarkable um, turnover always involved in a turnover situation and Anthony Levine, of course, in recent years has been another one, but uh, exciting players. Uh, your turn. Who would you like to talk about? Uh, yeah, I think I'd like to touch a little bit on David Ojabo, uh guy who I, really near and dear to my heart, just based on the fact that he did live in Scotland for a good part of his life before he moved to Michigan. Um, I came into this game probably quite down on how his preseason had gone. And don't get me wrong, I don't think Sunday was incredible, but I thought there were some really nice flashes. Um, you know, the strip sack, kind of similar to the to the game against the Bengals, whereby in this game obviously played a lot more, but hadn't you hadn't really seen him flash in the game as a pass rusher and then gets an opportunity and round and he attacked the ball. Like he knew where that ball was and he went for it to to force that. Um, but I thought he also looked relatively strong against the run as well. So um, for a guy who I was definitely down on coming out of preseason, I'm not going to say I'm all the way back in on, but trending a little bit further upwards, I would say. They had him in almost exclusively on pass plays in this game, but not completely. There were a few run plays while he was in there. One of the things we saw a little bit in the preseason was that he'd lost the edge a couple of times, and I didn't really see that happening in this game. We don't have one negative run note in our in our set about Ajabo, so I was very happy to see that. All right, uh, let me pick one more player here, and I think we'll want to do a question or two, and then we'll uh, we'll call it off because I know you've got a meeting you need to get to here. But um, hmm, let's talk about let's talk about Ronald Darby, uh, who I think had some great downhill play in this game. I didn't think he was bad in coverage. I didn't think he lost anybody for a big play. Um, I'm trying to remember who gave up the 26-yard play, but I think that was on the other side of the field, right? That was a pass maybe in the two slot between, you know, towards the left sideline. I think so, yeah. yeah. No, I think it was the other side. Yeah. So Darby, I thought, really played really well downhill, um, uh, supporting the run. Certainly that was a big part of what he did in this game. But I thought, you know, Every every play he's back there in coverage, and I know the way the PFF system used to work, there was a small positive adjustment for every play that a cornerback was not targeted back in the old plus two to minus two days when you could see the actual score that a player was getting. Yeah, yeah, and it is still relatively like that. There's some other stuff we do after the fact, but there is still like heavily target based based on the based on the grading. Okay, all right. So, uh, Ronald Darby, the number one cornerback, are you uh, concerned about this at this point right now, or, or, or are you as happy about it as you can be after seeing him play one game against the Texans? I think probably as happy as you can be. Um, I think you have to, you know, looking ahead to this upcoming week, if the Ravens do head out there with the combination of Stevens, Darby, and 
uh, Rocky Asin as their outside cornerbacks against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. It's pretty concerning. Um, but, you know, we've seen Stevens match up with Higgins before. Chase is going to be a bit of a different um, thing there. So, realistically understanding that you don't have Marlon Humphrey, I don't know how much better you could be um, given the given the circumstances they had. Now, I'm, I'm not believing it even for a second, but Harbaugh said today that he thought it was possible Humphrey would play this week. So uh, he, he may suit up. Now, I, don't, I don't believe it for a second. Okay. That, sound, that sounds like the the John Harbaugh might play this week that could rumble on for another five weeks based on yes. the way that John Harbaugh does in press conferences. Yes. I, I, and I know in Humphrey's case, he really wants to be back. I'd actually be a little bit concerned about this. I got one really good question here from Miggy Duran I want to get to in the mailbag. So let's do that. Uh, he says, did the pass rush element, did the pass rush results improve after the Texans offensive tackle left the game or was it steady during the entire game? I'm trying to pro- project a good result versus better competition. Well, I mean, from a results perspective, I think it was the first snap that the who would actually be the third string right tackle because mm-hmm. George Fant was already the backup. Um, when he came in, I'm pretty sure that was the Ojabo strip sack. Yep. Um, I think Fant came back into the game afterwards, right? Uh, I actually I don't know. So they had um, one more sack on from that side, uh, and that was the Ardarius Washington sack that was after that. Yep. Oh. Um, but yeah, but definitely. So I, I think they got relatively consistent pressure, I think, throughout the game. So I don't think that was the reason why they started getting more pressure, but the result they got was a quicker pressure that allowed Ojabo to sack the quarterback and force a fumble. So, you know, that's the that's the one play that you don't necessarily project against a better quality tackle, um, I think. Fair enough to say that the Ravens are going to need to try and leverage what they have here uh, with the pass rush against the Bengals after what happened to them in week one? Yeah, I think this is this is the game where Mike McDonald can um, prove his worth. Um, I mean, I think he's proven his worth time and time again, but this is the type of game whereby you need him to be in his bag, as the kids would say on social media these days. If you let him, you know, cause some havoc with Queen and Roquan Smith, um, he, he generally has been very good against Joe Burrow so far in his career. Um, and I think they're going to need that again this week. I would love to see Burrow resort to the kind of um, game plan that they did the last two times they played him in week 18 and P1 last year was they threw to the outside, you know, a disproportionate number of plays. And it just seems like that's really allowing the Ravens to dictate against your strength. You know, your strength is getting people free down the middle of the field or down, down the sideline if you want that. And the Ravens are are playing some defense which doesn't allow you to do that. Well, tell me what that is. I want to play that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, very exciting. And and I think that next week will be a big test for the Ravens uh, in Cincinnati. Obviously, this this game is going to mean is going to be Waterloo for the for the Cincinnati Bengals if they lose a second divisional game to one of what I think they probably consider even after what happened to the Ravens here in Week One one of their um, primary divisional competitors. I don't think they'll be in a good place. Um, by the way, to take this a little bit offline here, what do you think about the Browns? The Browns have a huge war chest this year. And they went, they they did some artificial things, obviously, to get some additional money and push more money into the future, which um, the Browns have the worst single cap position of any team 
next year, if I believe, or they have 27 million anyway, un, uh, underwater for next year. Are they is are they in a Rams situation here where they're trying to win it this year before the the Watson contract eats them alive? So I read an article, and I am by far not a, a cap guru by any sense, but I read an article, and there is some kind of quirk within the salary cap whereby the kind of kicking the can further down the road, salary wise. So what the in in what the Browns have done in their cap position next year looks terrible, but their cap position this year is fantastic because of how they've maneuvered the contracts. That then means that they roll over a good amount of that into next sure. year. And all of a sudden it then lifts them out of that, that cap. And apparently as long as you have an owner that's willing to spend the additional money, there is an edge of about 10% of the salary cap that can be gained simply from doing these moves and maneuvering them. And people seem to think that what they're doing is they're kind of doing this until they get, so when they start now having first round picks again, now that the, the Watson trade, once that's all wrapped up, you then get the opportunity to draft higher value talent cheaper because you now have those first round picks. And at that point they might start to revert back there. So it's real, really interesting. Um, but also, you know, if you just like watching football for football, it's maybe not the most interesting thing in the world. But there are, it's, I think it's them in Philadelphia that are doing some of these things whereby as long as you're willing to pay a little bit more as an owner, um, there is a little bit of an edge to be had there. Okay. I, I, I'll i ask you to send me the link to that article. <laughs> I really want to take a look at it. But uh, uh, pleasure as always having you on, Gordon. Uh, outstanding. I know you're you're in, in a hurry to get out of here, so I'll, I'll uh, help you do that. So maybe can we talk MVPs for the game? Do you have a three-two-one MVP for me here? Uh, I've definitely got a two and a one. Uh, okay. In fact, no, I've got three-two-one. Um, I think our diary, our Darius Washington, three. Okay. Uh, Guess we talked enough about him recently to to be good with that. Now he, he's on yeah. my honorable mention list. I had Adafi away as my number three guy. Yeah, I, I would probably put our Darius because there's one offensive player who I think is in the top three. So I'd probably oh, go all, all, def- all defense. Oh, j- just all defense. Good. Then I'm going our Darius Washington. Okay. <laughs> uh, all way at two and uh, Roquan at one. Okay. And I've got Patrick Queen at two and Roquan at one. I, Patrick made some, made some good drive ending plays in this game. We've got to give him his, uh, got to give him his props this week. Jadavian Clowney, kind of one of the guys that I really loved. We didn't talk about him individually. We did in the first show a little bit. So please go back and download that. Uh, but uh, in, in terms of what his pressures meant and how his pressures led to sacks by other players, that was uh, obviously a very exciting component of his game. Yeah. I think he's going to be a good player for them this year. All right. Well, Gordon, tell folks where they can find your work online and uh, and contact you if they want to. Yeah, you'll find uh, anything I write on pff.com and you'll get me on x slash Twitter, which is at pff Gordon, pff underscore Gordon. All right. I know you've also been doing some work on 105.7. So for the Baltimore audience, show up on Thursdays there most often? Yes. Thursday 830 is when I'm on there. Thursday at 830. Outstanding. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up. Uh, I'm always interested in your ideas. Got some fantastic thought experiment ideas recently. Uh, the draft success scoring that's out there. Uh, just a very brilliant and novel idea uh, that, that is, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing you say, I wish I had thought of that first because uh, it's, it's, it's intuitive at, it, at its basis, but worth a, worth a listen. I'd love to hear from you folks. Uh, 
just anything you're passionate about, you be you. Don't try and don't try necessarily be the most technical guy unless that's who you want to be, unless that's you. So, uh, but I'd love to talk to you about that and uh, and love meeting new people through that forum. Uh, Gordon, thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.